podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick and I'm joined today by Mr Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We had an interesting day in the World Cup yesterday. Results went as expected. But today, I have a feeling of an upset in the air. Let's look at yesterday's games first, Guy. We'll start with France 3, Poland 1. Olivier Giroud opens the scoring on 44 minutes, taking sole control of the record as the highest ever goal scorer for the French national team, latching on to a great uh, true ball by Kylian Mbappe. Mbappe himself made it two on 74 and then made it three on 91 minutes. Two very similar goals, got the ball in the same area of the box. The first one he just lashes past uh, Shishesny. The second one he kind of places past him into the other top corner. Uh, Robert Lewandowski got a late, late consolation goal. Probably his last kick at a World Cup, you'd imagine, uh, on 99 minutes. But Poland go out. And to be fair, the game played out exactly how Carl and myself thought it would. Poland sitting very deep and hoping to spring counterattacks, But France looked very comfortable, I thought, yesterday. Uh, yeah, I'd probably agree in the main. I think Poland had a 25-minute spell in the end of the second end of the first half, I should say, where they tried <laughs> to play football, which has probably been the first time of the tournament because somehow they scraped through. But, yeah, I think France were always in control for the main. I, I don't remember a Lewandowski chance or anything like that. I think maybe Zielinski had one in that period, but I don't remember it being a glaring miss or anything like that. But my main takeaway from this game, Dave, is Lewandowski must never have taken a penalty before in his life because that was the worst penalty I've ever seen in my life. Firstly, he got uh, ruled out because, well, there was infringement, then there was uh, he was uh, Loris was off his line, but Lewandowski stopped about four times, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> For one of the best strikers of this generation, and he can't have taken many penalties. No, and it looked like he was about to run off and celebrate as well before realizing that his team was. 3-0 down and that it didn't make it. I can't win the golden boot now. <laughs> yeah, it's over for me now. It's over for me now. Um, killing Mbappe, though, mm. that is... It, it's it's getting silly. It's five goals at this World Cup. I hope my cash is okay. Yeah, I mean... Jesus. 
That's rough. Yeah. You know, to to Matty Cash's defense, like he gave as good as he possibly could. He was just completely outgunned. Like, Left on an island. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Got no help from his centre backs and got absolutely roasted. That is now nine World Cup goals for Kylian Mbappe thus far. Five in this tournament. He is the best player in the world right now. He's been the best player at this tournament. And if he continues to play at this level, they're going to be very, very hard to stop. Yeah, and you think it's you think of the options as well. I mean, at centre back, we obviously know Ibu and stuff like that, and we we probably say he should be starting even over the, the centre backs that are playing. But it's not just that. I mean, people like I think Marcus Turam came on and got an assist too. May not be the best player, but he's very effective. Um, they've already got their second choice left back, who is seen as one of the best left backs in the world playing, um, which is terrifying. I think, as you always say, when we bring up France, it's only really right back. That's an issue. But why not just slip in one of the best centre-backs in the world who can play there? Why not? But basically, unless Loris has a howler and maybe a bit of inexperience in midfield, mm. I, I don't really see a weakness. I mean, maybe Rabiot can implode, but he seems to have grew out of that since the... Was it the last World Cup he refused to go as a as a stand-in or something like that? Um, but unless Chiuameni gets suspended, because I think he had a yellow card, um, Fafana had a bit of a mare against Tunisia, didn't he? So that might be the only weakness. But bar Loris being dreadful or midfield getting a suspension or something, I, I just don't see the issue because... Bar maybe Giroud, not it's weird saying not the most prolific when he's just broke the goal scoring record, but he did miss an open goal just before that as well. Um, yeah, there, there's really no weakness. Like they've got Griezmann basically playing in centre mid just for shits and giggles at this point. Yeah, I mean, when you go up and down through the squad, the the only the only real things that stand against them are Larice is always capable of a howler. And like you said, Olivier Giroud can be a bit hot and cold. Now, he's obviously a lot better for France than he is at club level in terms of maintaining a, a regular goal-scoring presence. But he is 36, and were he to get injured, they don't really have anybody in the squad who you would feel comfortable stepping in and replacing him with. Um, the, Obviously, Benzema got injured, that has actually benefited them because it means Giroud has played. I, I yeah. don't think they're as good with Benzema, despite him being a better player. But when Benzema got hurt, they didn't call anybody up to replace him. But, you know, you start looking at their squad and it's very hard to see how they get stopped if Mbappe is playing this way, if Usman Dembele is playing this way. Like, he's not getting nearly as much discussion, but he has been absolutely outrageous. Like you mentioned, Chuameni. I think Carl said that if that yellow cards reset after the next round. Right, okay. So, so if he doesn't get because he got booked yesterday. Yeah, so if he doesn't get booked in the next game, he should be okay then. Um, yeah, I mean, and when you, the thing is, when you start looking at sort of projecting out four years from now, eight years from now, and you see the players who will be available to them that didn't make this squad or are just in the under-23s right now, it's it's all of a sudden quite easy to start thinking this group could win three in a row, 
four we, in a we're row. We're just hoping for the French meltdown. Really. Yeah, that's literally it. Yeah. But, uh, that's that's literally it. But there's just so much talent coming through. And if Zidane does replace Deschamps, you really, you can't you can't see it. I know he's oh, a fire, he's a fiery character, but Zidane he, kept Madrid he's together. The biggest weakness. Deschamps yeah. is the biggest weakness. But when you start looking at the other managers left in this World Cup, is there anyone better than them? I'm not sure there is. The good managers are all gone home. He might be one of the best left. So I'd probably say Louis Enrique is the best left. I know you're not a fan, but he's probably the most proven left. True, isn't he? Yeah. true. But he may be going out today. We'll or not tomorrow, rather. We'll talk about him. Right. Let's move on then. So France will play England. In the quarterfinals, England defeated Senegal by three goals to nil. England were pretty poor for 35 minutes or so. Then Bellingham bursts from midfield. Kane finds him with a through ball. Bellingham carries the ball, draws three players to him, cuts it back. Henderson arrives late on the edge of the box. Left-footed finish. Mendy maybe should get down a bit quicker, but... It's a good strike. England are one up. Harry Kane scores three minutes into first half stoppage time to make it two. Again, it's Bellingham, who's the primary creator of the chance, picking the ball up in England's half, driving forward into Senegal's half. He finds Foden. Foden finds Kane. And Kane, he just sort of hits it as hard as he can. Yeah, and Edward Mendy does it's a small pants impression, <laughs> which yeah. is very unusual. Uh, Bakayo Saka wraps up the points on fifty-seven minutes. Again, Phil Foden is the supplier. He plays a lovely ball across. Bakayo Saka coming in from the right wing, clips the ball left-footed and just lifts it sort of over Mendy, who's doing whatever it is he's doing. Uh, England three, Senegal nil. A good win for England. Senegal aren't great, and as I said, I, I thought they were quite lucky to get through the group stage. I didn't think there were any great shakes, but this is a good win for England, and now it puts them in a position where you know they're going to start playing the big boys. Yeah, it's probably going to be Gareth Southgate's, I was going to say first test, but he's obviously made it to semi-finals and, and a final, but... In terms of an early-ish round, he's never really had this difficult a draw because it's always been Croatia in the semi-final or Italy in the final. Because or was it Denmark in the semi-final of the Euros, um, and then it was Colombia and Sweden in the U- in the um, World Cup, if I remember correctly. So I think this will be the first real, real big boy. And to, and to be fair, this France side still a lot better than that Italy side that won the Euros. They just did a Michael Jordan last dance, didn't they? Um, so, yeah, this will be probably his biggest test of his England career so far. But it was a very strange performance by England because you mentioned in the first half, the tactic seemed to be Maguire, you tried to be Joel Matip. <laughs> so they didn't seem to have a midfield because Rice swapped with Maguire and then Henderson and Bellingham were basically playing split centre mid, like on the wing almost. It was very strange. There was just nowhere, no one to pass to, and it was the centre backs were kind of always losing the ball. But if you do that stuff against France, it's not going to be a championship winger running at you. It will be Kylian Mbappe. So I wonder if he'll change it and maybe 
bring Calvin Phillips in to maybe have a bit more of a presence in that midfield because maybe Declan Rice isn't the strongest at collecting the ball. I don't think Henderson is either. Bellingham, you kind of want higher up. So maybe that is a job for Calvin Phillips and he's obviously been coming on as a sub every game. So maybe that is Phillips' first game to start. No, I, th- I think you're spot on. And look, I mean, you can't ask any more from England than what they've done which is they topped their group and they have beaten Senegal, one of the weaker teams in the knockout phase. So I think what we've seen so far is what we expected to see. You know, when a lot of people did their pre-tournament brackets and whatever else, they would have marked England down to top a fairly straightforward group. And, you know... When, when we looked at it, we thought, oh, Ecuador or Senegal in second place. Mm-hmm. England will beat whoever that is. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So now, now it becomes tougher. But look, they, the one thing I, I will say about this England team, they started really poorly against Iran. They started really poorly against the USA. They had a poor first half, I thought, against the Welsh and a poor start last night. So that's all four games where they have started poorly. I think if they start that poorly against France, they might find themselves a couple of goals behind. The other thing as well is France are looking for teams to bring the game to them. Like you mentioned Poland yesterday with France and how for 20, 25 minutes in the second half, Poland actually had a goal. Well, what's the, what happened in that time? France mm. went one up. France are going to want England to come and attack them. So what do you think Southgate will do? Do you think he, will he try and attack them? Will he stick oh, God, with, no. <laughs> with the 4-2-3-1-4-3-3 and be uh, brave? Three at the back. It's going to be three at the back, isn't it? It'll be, I think it'll be Walker... Walker's job is to follow Mbappe. Mbappe. I think he'll play trippy right wing back, I think. Which means one of the midfielders drops out in all likelihood. Or one of the forward players. So it's going to be, I would imagine, one of Bellingham, Saka or Foden who drop out. Yeah, I think it's a... Well, it's a a shame for Gareth and obviously... I think... Obviously, I think Sterling would have started yesterday, probably over Phil Foden. But if he was going to a 3-5-2, I think it would still be Kane and, and, and Sterling. So maybe maybe play one of the lads off, off Kane in more of a 1-1 rather than a 2 could work, because I don't think any of them can really replicate what Sterling was doing. Um, but yeah, I think he has to pack the midfield, because Chiromeni's really good. Mm-hmm. Rabio's good, and obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Griezmann's dropping into them areas. That probably will be Rice's job to stop Griezmann. So, you don't yeah, you'd imagine game. Rice will almost man mark Griezmann, which isn't yeah. ideal. And then he can out physicality, physical him. To be fair, so. he can, but can he catch him? Is the real question. Yeah, Griezmann's is still quite nippy. Um, the Chuamani versus Bellingham. If if he goes three in midfield, if he goes Henderson, Rice, Bellingham in midfield. Chiuamani versus Bellingham is going to be really, really interesting. Um, and from a Liverpool fan point of view, it might not be an outcome that you're going to enjoy too much. Mm. It was nice. Um, for, it was nice for Henderson to have a good game, though. Because it was. It was. He, he, yeah. he, like the rest of the team, 
had a poor first 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. But once he got his goal, you could see his confidence went up. And it is worth pointing out now that Jordan Henderson, he of three international goals, has more World Cup knockout goals than Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Isn't he on the same as Messi, though, as well? <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> I think on the same as Wayne Rooney as well. Yeah, beautiful. But no, it, it is good. I think almost the struggle was probably more of a tactics thing, because as I mentioned, there was no midfield. So it was just very strange. But no, it was really nice to have a, maybe have a good game. Maybe the break's done him good, because we've always, we've always mentioned might be a physical issue, but he, he's rarely had a break other than being injured, and that's not really a break. So It's also the pace of the game at international level. Like International True. football is just slower than Premier League football. And, you know, when he did sprint last night, he was able to keep up with the opponents or even sprint ahead of them. When it's in the Premier League and he tries to sprint, he's two yards behind people. So He's doing a good job tapping up Jude Bellingham as well, so that'll do. That's exactly it. That is his main function yes. at this World Cup. That is all that matters from him at this World Cup. And look, it, there's a real bromance has developed there. And we know that Trent and Jude have a good relationship as well. So given that Trent isn't going to play again in this competition... Um, He's there to go to walk. He, he is literally <laughs> there to, to just convince Jude that his future lies at Anfield. Um, but look, no, great win for England. Great to see them through and tougher test awaits. And it, it's going to be tough from here on because it's France. Then it's the winner of Argentina, Netherlands. And then it is going to be somebody very good coming from the other side of the, the, uh, the draw as well. We move into the other side of the draw today with Japan versus Croatia. This game seems to me like yet another opportunity for Cro- for Japan to go behind, make some halftime substitutions, and then cut their opponents apart on the counter while having, you know, 25% possession or less. Croatia obviously came through their group second place. Looked quite impressive, except for the game against Belgium. Even Morocco, like, I know it was a bit of a boring game, but as it turned out, Morocco were actually quite good, so you can't take yeah. that away from Croatia. Um, they 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 handled the Belgian game very poorly and almost cost themselves a spot. But, I mean, Japan come in having beaten Germany and Spain in their group. They're going to be confident. And I think Croatia, as a team that wants a lot of the ball, plays well into the Japanese hands. Yeah, and I think the real difference between Croatia and the, and the two other big teams Japan have beaten is them other two big teams have goals in the team, whereas Croatia do not. They have Andrew Kramaric up front. Is it Andrew? I don't really care. Um, it, Kramaric up front, um, that person I never heard of who started the other day up front, and and even Perisic, who is a left wing back for the last three or four years. So it's uh, I don't think they'll pause... They'll probably spank Japan now, I've said that, but I don't think they'll pose the same threat that Germany did. Well, let's be fair, Germany should have battered Japan with the amount of chances they created, but they just, well, they should have played full Krug or whatever his name was instead of Muller. Um, in Spain, albeit it's Morata, Morata seems to do all right for Spain. Um, 
So I think that's probably the difference there. So I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you thinking. I think Japan, it's a real opportunity for them to get into the quarterfinals, albeit Croatia still have an excellent midfield. It's just whether they can control the game for the entire 90 minutes. I don't think any mm. team can do that. Um, so Japan may have to pick their moments, but that's what their tournament's been about, picking the moments, keeping yeah. the ball in just about and scoring a goal. Um but yeah, I think yeah, I think this will probably be the more fun game of the day because I think the other one's quite cut and dry. Um, but no, Japan have been really fun, and, and Croatia have been—they've just never replaced Manzukic, have they? I, I think that's just the issue for them. The defense is still well, free for <laughs> free quarters of it are good. Um, uh, but no, they've never found a Manzukic replacement who was just that big focal point for them. Um, and yeah, I think that's the difference between this side and the twenty-eight team time, and obviously. Um, Modric is 100 years old now, but he's still good at football. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, they've had a couple of young strikers come through who they had hoped would develop into that role to be the, the focal point. And Kramaric himself, like, he has been quite open about the fact that he's not a number nine. He prefers to play as sort of an inside forward or just off a big Second striker. striker, yeah. So, you know... It's not like he's pretending to be something he's not. The thing is, and I think you've hit the nail on the head, when you look at Japan against Germany and against Spain, Germany and Spain never really committed huge numbers to attack. Like, Japan were able to cut through them largely in their defensive sets. They weren't caught way ahead of the ball. Croatia are going to have to commit numbers forward because they score by committee. They have to get extra numbers in the box. Because and they just seems to be the wing-backs, or the full-backs as well. So, exactly. Yeah. So you can see, potentially, that there might be big spaces left for Japan to attack. And if that is the case, Croatia could have a very, very tough time trying to keep Japan out. And of course, any pain for Dejan Lovren is good pain, so I'm very much in favour of a Japanese win today. But there are a lot of very good players in that Croatia team. And I think even though, you know, you'd look at, say, Barisic is 30, Lovren's 33, Vida's 33, they will not play another World Cup, you'd imagine. Uh, in midfield, Modric is 37 and Brozovic is 30, is 30, so they won't play another World Cup. All the rest of their defence and midfield options will likely still be around at the next World Cup. So Kovacic, Lovremeyer, Nikola Vlasic, Mario Pasalic, Luka Sukic, who they're obviously very excited about. In defence, you'll have Borna Sosa, Josko Gvardiol, Juranovic will probably still be around, Zatalo will be around, Kaleta Kar, who's not in the squad, he'll be around, Stanisic will be around. So, I mean... They can, they can look forward to another good four years and likely, you know, with, with 48 teams qualifying for the next World Cup, they'll definitely be there. But the question mark for them is, can they, in the next four years, do what they haven't done in the past four years and find that striker? Because Perisic is 33, Kramaric is 31, Budemeyer is 31, uh, Levaya is 29, as is Orsic, and Petkovic is 28. There's no young players in that attacking group. You might say Levaya 
Petkovic and Orsic can all be at the next World Cup, but they'll all be 32-33. And of the strikers who didn't make the group, uh, Patar Musa, he's one option, but he hasn't played for them yet. Uh, Bracalo has got 33 caps. He's 24 as well, but he's only got four goals. He's not exactly been tearing it up for them. They've got to make sure that in the next four years, no matter what happens, they find a striker. If they have to steal one, that's what they have to do. There is a big Croatian diaspora out there. Go and find somebody who has a Croatian granny. Someone is ready to play for Dynamo Zagreb for four years. <laughs> yeah, even that. Even that. Go and find a young player somewhere yeah. and offer him like 10 million a year to go and play for Dynamo mm. Zagreb for for four years. That's all you need and get him exactly. registered in time for the World Cup. I think the interesting thing about this game, though, is probably. Gavardio's probably the best centre-back Japan's come up against so far, because obviously Laporte didn't play in the Spain game, did he? And I think that's probably still debatable since Laporte's injury. Um, mm. But The German centre-backs were Rudiger good. and, yeah, I think it was Schlotterbeck in that game who had a bit of a mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Rudiger's been a mess. Um, so, yeah, and obviously Costa Rica's Costa Rica and they're still at the beat Japan. Um, so, yeah, I think Gavardio's the best centre-back and, well, let's be honest, he kept Croatia in the tournament with that tackle, albeit Lukaku may have still missed, but we'll never know. Um, oh, no. I, I, given how <laughs> Rom was playing, I think we do know. I'd yeah, also say Juranovic is the best right-back they've come up against because, like, Nicolas Sula was playing right-back oh, for the God, Germans. Yeah. I was trying to think you the German right-back. Did Spain have Aspie or was it Carviol? Either way. Yeah. Neither of them are ideal. I think Juranovic might be the best right-back they'll have come up against, and there's probably an argument. David Rom so, would be the best left-back. He's probably a little bit better than Sosa at the moment. But it, it, it might be the best. Unit, it's probably, yeah, I was going to say, it's probably the best unit they've played. However, however, <laughs> there is always the Lovren issue, and he hasn't yet had a full-on Dejan Lovren moment, and it's coming because it always does. So. Well, he saved it for the final the last time, so... That's true. That is true. He did save it for the final the last time. The absolute cabbage. Yes. Uh, right, prediction for this game. Um, I think it'd be boring to go with Croatia and just say like a 1-0, but I'll, I'll, Japan only do mad games, so I'm going to go 3-2 Japan. I'll go 2-1 Japan. I, I'm hoping for, for your prediction, hoping for 3-2, because I'd like to see some goals. But yeah, I'll go 2-1 Japan. Croatia to be one up and cruising at halftime. Japan to make three subs. All the subs. <laughs> Ritsu Duan to come on and score again. Mitoma. Mitoma to come on and just break hearts and ankles and uh, and somebody else to come on and score. Uh, right, moving on then. Last game of the day, Brazil versus South Korea. Brazil obviously come in as heavy favourites. They're one of the, the two favourites to win the entire competition along with France. They sailed through the group stage Though they didn't really look all that impressive. They won their first game against Serbia 2-0. Bit of a huff and puff kind of job, and Richarlison gets two goals, and that sets them through, sets them away. Then they beat Cameroon 1-0, but rely on a late, late Casemiro goal. Swiss 1-0. Oh, sorry, they beat the Swiss 1-0, sorry, with the with the late Casemiro goal. And then they lose to Cameroon. Now it was obviously a heavily rotated team. But they haven't really sparkled thus far. Now, the reports are that Neymar is back in training. 
Whether he's fit to start remains to be seen. I have doubts. That ankle looked horrendous. But they will be confident of going through. But South Korea sort of backdoored the way in with that late, late winner that nobody expected against Portugal and sent Uruguay home. Well, Ronaldo fancied something for his Korean fans. <laughs> That's exactly it. I don't know why he played in that game. Um, it's very hard to see anything other than a Brazil win here, isn't it? It really is. And I do agree. I think they've not been too impressive. Um, but they've just been boringly efficient. Obviously, that Cameroon, if they, if they needed to win that Cameroon game, probably would have been different. They wouldn't have rotated that much. Um, obviously, uh, Jesus picked up a three-month injury by the sounds of it, which is probably bigger news for Arsenal rather mm. than Brazil, which is not good for the title challenge and stuff like that, but that's probably for a two-footed. Um, but no, you'd have to say Brazil should walk this. It, it's a strange one because I think you and Carl and I, and I actually agreed with for maybe Brazil would have been more interesting without Neymar there, but... No one's really stepped up. Like we, I think everyone in the world loves Vinicius Junior because he's one of the most fun players in the world. But maybe it's the system or whatever, or maybe he just likes Carlo Ancelotti that much. But it, he just seems to not be clicking. Um, Rafinha, the I don't know. Last year he seemed to be the golden child of Brazilian football. He seemed to inspire new life in it, but it it not really worked so far. No, Paquette has had the odd moment. Um, but yeah, Richarlison, apart from the Serbia game, I don't remember him doing too much. Um, so yeah, it's not really clicked together, but I, I think everyone will just think, yeah, they'll just walk past South Korea and maybe Korea have the odd mad moment towards the end of the game. But if Brazil are this experienced, I know Thiago Silva's a million years old, but we mentioned it, um, the pace of international football probably still suits him quite a lot. Marquinhos is... Is excellent. Militao playing right back if he if he plays there again is very good. Um, so I think they might be working on the rigid system to get to the final this time. Yeah, so it, maybe they remind me of the two thousand and two Brazil. I was say that. Maybe they're just lacking that Ronaldinho Rivaldo at the minute for the spark, but that's probably what Neymar will bring. That's the hope, isn't it? That's yeah. that Neymar can be like their their Ronaldinho. There won't be a Ronaldo in this squad, obviously, because he's a one of one. Um, but they need someone to step up in attack along with Neymar. And you mentioned the two obvious candidates in Vinicius and Rafinha. I mean, like you said, Vinicius is probably the best winger in the world for the last 12 months, maybe maybe yeah. even longer, probably the last 18 months. He's in, uh, he was since, outrageous since last Since Moore's dip, I think it's been then, really. It's been Vinny, yeah. Yeah. And then on the other side, Rafinha, it's funny how he's viewed, like, we watched him in the Premier League for Leeds and he's an outrageously talented player, but the Brazilians view him more as a workhorse. And you yeah. see Brazil fans talking about him and how he's in the team for his work rate and the balance that he provides. He's also in the team because the other option is Anthony, who's useless. But it, it's just strange. They don't seem to have as much faith in him in terms of feeding him the ball and allowing him to be a playmaker for them. Mm-hmm. I think if they bring because it's been weak because through in the qualifying, I, obviously I don't I don't watch a lot of South American qualifying. It seemed to be Fred Casemiro, and then maybe in the easier game bring Paqueta in, if not whatever. 
but then now it seems to he seems to be tinkering quite a bit. Maybe he just expected it was an easy group and he'd get through. But it's always seemed to be quite well defined for me that it was Neymar, Vinicius, Rafinha with them two as a base. Mm. Now it's um, yeah, it seems to be tinkering quite a bit. But maybe it was because Richarlison was injured for the for some of the qualifying and stuff like that, or some of the latter friendlies or whatever. But yeah, just maybe he just needs to settle because. Fred hasn't played loads under Ten Hag, has he? So maybe he's just no. trying to ease him into the team or something like that. That's the thing. Fred hasn't played a lot this season for United because he's been going with Casemiro and Ericsson. And McTominay has almost been preferred to Fred at times as well. So, yeah, possibly just trying to bring him slowly up to speed. I do think when they start playing tougher opposition, it will be Casemiro, Fred with the three. But I suppose the other option he has is he could play Paqueta on the right wing. Again, Mm -hmm. he's seen as one that plays there for work rate and balance rather than, you know, any sort of creative thing. Uh, To be fair, if you have Vinicius Junior and Neymar, you you don't really need another one, do you? No, no, you don't. And you do need someone that puts in the graph because what you're looking for what we what we'll often see with this Brazil team when it's when it is Casemiro, Fred, and Rafinha on the right wing, is that Rafinha drops in, the other two kind of shift over a little bit and becomes a midfield three. Neymar shifts forward and almost becomes like a false nine. Yeah, and Richarlison drops to the right wing with Vinny on the left, so it's a four three three or a four five one. And I think that's ideally what he would like. And obviously, Paqueta offers that same ability to flex from right wing to right-side midfield mm-hmm. and give them a bit more solidity. And he's obviously a bit more physical than Rafinha as well. Yeah. He's a bigger, a bigger lad. Um, I wonder if them two regret their moves because it seems to take the sparkle off them a bit. Because at Leeds, Rafinha was massive and Paqueta not really clicked at West Ham yet, has he? Nothing has clicked at West Ham. <laughs> Nothing has clicked there. Um, but I, I do think Rafinha probably does. I do think he probably does because... He, he's not beloved by Barcelona's fans, and there's already been some calls to sell him. And Dembele's so, kind of came back massively it. for them, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and Dembele's out of his mind, and they've got Ansu Fati, who's one of their golden boys, and they're hoping he's going to be the other winger with, with Usman on one wing. If he moved, if he moved to Chelsea or Arsenal, it may have been the better move. The only thing with the Arsenal move, like what were you going to do there? I mean, you could play one of them left wing, but then what do you do with Martinelli? Mm. You know, I keep seeing all these Arsenal fans say, oh, if we could just get, you know, a left, one more winger in. I'm like, what are you going to do with the players you have? Smith-Rowe's not even played. (laughs) Saka has to to play. And then, like you said, Smith-Rowe or Martinelli has to be the other one. You've got Vieira as the backup to Odegaard. You do likely need a backup right winger, but you don't need someone that's banging down the door to start every game because Bukayo Saka is your best player. Arsenal fans are just funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim Min Jae is the big question mark for this South Korea team. Is he fit for today? If not, the defence isn't quite what it is with him because obviously he is one of the better centre-backs in world football. They could really do with a big game from Young Min Son. He has been one of the kind of more quietly disappointing players in this competition. I he think it's been all season for him, though, Dave. I think yeah, he hasn't been good for Spurs. No, yeah. he hasn't been good for Spurs. 
I so think that's they, why they've been so... St- I think, obviously, Spurs are doing well. I think the third off. Well, I haven't looked at the Premier League table since this started. Um, but I think he's the reason they're so still, because I think Kane and Kulosevsky have been very good. The Suns kind of stunk up the place. Yeah, Kulo's injury, injury um, has hurt them as well. Yeah. But, but, yeah, they haven't been helped at all by Youngman's son's form. It's mad to think that uh, a week from today will be the 12th of December... The last time Liverpool played was the twelfth of November, so we're you know we're coming up on a month Good since love. Liverpool last played, and obviously we don't get to see them again until the twenty second of December. And you know what, Dave? It's been fucking amazing. It has been great, it's been absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I'm all, I'm up for this every year. Give me an international tournament that stops the Premier League every year. Um, let's get a prediction then and get out of here. I will go two nil Brazil. I was thinking the same. I'll say three one just for a late frenzy at the end, and maybe Korea get one, then Brazil get one on the break or something like that. Wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. Wouldn't be a surprise if you know Korea were having to commit bodies forward and Brazil just caught them going the other way. I think it might be better um, in that one. Yeah, I mean it does. You know, when you looked at these games beforehand, the ones you could sort of point to. Argentina, Australia, England, Senegal, Brazil, South Korea, they were the ones, and Portugal, Switzerland tomorrow, they're the ones where you sort of expect Argentina, England, Brazil, Portugal to just kind of breeze through. Now, I know the Argies had a... Yeah, and France, but... Yeah, no, to be fair, (laughs) You're thinking Lewandowski. In fact, if we look at them all, I mean, the Netherlands were expected to beat USA. It's gone chalk so far, all games as expected. I think... Japan, Croatia, and Morocco, Spain are the only two where you'd say there's a real chance we get a surprise result because the expected result will be a Croatia win and a Spain win. But there's a real chance that Japan can beat Croatia and a real chance, I think, that Morocco can beat Spain. Switzerland do Switzerland things as well now and again. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's gonna it's gonna recall uh, require um Jan Sommer Superman mode. <laughs> Jan Sommer Superman mode and Harris Seferovic to just remember that you know he, he is Carl's favorite player. Yeah, Carl is relying on him exactly. Uh, so that'll do us for today. We will be back tomorrow with more of this uh, to talk about Japan, Korea, Japan, Croatia, Brazil, Korea, and of course tomorrow's games: Mor- Morocco, Spain, and Portugal versus Switzerland. So we'll see you then. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.